About 6.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, and welcome to another edition of Gray Matters, the weekly news and media talk show. <clears throat> My name is Dick Whaley, and uh, Jim Dwyer is uh, presumably off tonight. Uh, he and his lovely wife, Mars, are celebrating her birthday down in Detroit, so I told him not to sweat it. And given the uh, parking situation around the WCBN Building, which of course we all call the center of the universe. Um, the orange uh, bags are up on the parking meters already <clears throat> because Art Fair is starting. And by the way, the weather has cleared up quite nicely. It's uh, sunny and uh, hot and humid, but the townie party is underway over at the Ingalls Mall. And if you've never seen Bill Kirchin, Wang dang doodle on that Stratocaster. I recommend uh, heading over there this evening because he's uh, sort of an old Ann Arbor legend who can really play guitar. And WCBN's uh, own, uh, formerly a DJ down here, Raleigh Tussing, I believe is pretty much hitting the stage as we speak. May have already played, but he's he's on the bill tonight. So uh, if you're not doing anything tonight... Go to the townie party down at the Ingalls Mall, which is essentially where Top of the Park was the last several weeks. In any event, uh, obviously, sort of the big news of the week is that there appears to be some sort of deal underway uh, with Greece and the uh, the European Union. The key to this uh, deal going forward, of course, at this point, is that the Greek parliament is pretty much going to have to... Uh, swallow their pride and basically accept a deal that's pretty much worse than what they had a couple of weeks ago. Prime Minister of Greece, uh, Cyprus, uh, and I've also heard it pronounced Cyprus, <clears throat> scheduled a, a sort of hastily arranged referendum, and the Greeks overwhelmingly voted no. He urged them to vote no, and the presumption, of course, at the time was that he would be... Uh, <clears throat> um, negotiating for a better deal. Obviously, the devil is in the details, and the only aspect of the deal that I've heard that's actually better for Greece is that apparently there is going to be some sort of uh, uh, setup for a redevelopment program that, to the tune of about 35 million euros. Talked about this before. Uh, the banks in Greece are still closed, and uh, they appear like they're going to be closed uh, for a couple more days. The European Central Bank, the ECB, of course, is the hidden player in all of this at this point. Because the real problem in Greece at the moment is liquidity. The banks are closed. Merchants are not accepting credit cards. Um, and other than tourists that bring their own cash... It's very difficult to get money out of ATMs. And, of course, there are even limitations on the ATM situation. And what we're seeing in Greece right now is what we would have seen in the United States had uh, TARP not been uh, passed, in my opinion, back in uh, uh, September slash October of 2008. Shortly before Barack Obama was elected president, the American financial crisis uh, is slightly different than what happened with Greece. Greece essentially is being now forced to accept 
austerity measures. That's the, the euphemism that's used to describe the conditions imposed by uh, the Northern European members of the European Union who for their own reasons domestically, politically, uh, forced this tough deal onto Greece. And you can make a lot of arguments about the myths and the the sort of uh, falsehoods that have been uttered about the whole situation. But at the moment, what Greece has is, is called a liquidity price, uh, crisis. Whether Greece is insolvent is uh, another debate. Uh, but one of the reasons that Greece is not in a position to go to their own currency is that if they did so, and they've done extensive polling, by the way, in Greece, that despite this recent referendum that was really a symbolic vote, it was essentially a vote on a proposal that was no longer on the table, four out of five Greeks want to remain with the euro. And the reason for that, rationally speaking, is that if at this point they return to their own currency, the drachma, presumably that would be what it would be called, that currency would be depreciating relative to the euro, and the debts would still remain. So what the European Central Bank is doing, and the head of that bank is an Italian, uh, Mario Draghi is his name, is they're providing cash, hopefully, presumably, assuming that Greece votes for these uh, so-called reforms uh, within the next day or two. They will provide the liquidity, the actual euro cash money, to allow banks to reopen and to essentially stock, restock ATM machines. Uh, I mentioned this, uh, I think, last week that uh, I heard a British economist back in 2008, late night on BBC. I was driving a cab shift that night, so it was not a uh, a program that was uh, frequently repeated on the BBC, who said that if the United States did not pass the TARP by the end of the week, and this was back in uh, 2008, that Americans would confront a situation in which all of the banks would be closed, credit cards would not be accepted by merchants, and you probably wouldn't even be able to write a check because a check is essentially a written IOU. And if the Greeks created their own currency, the drachma, assuming that they wanted to actually leave the euro, not only would they have problems with uh, um, money changing, you know, tourists who go to Greece go to Greece for good reasons. There's a lot of historical uh, uh, sites. You can call them ruins if you want. In fact, Greece, uh, to paraphrase a famous comment made about Richard Burton, Louis Menand once called Richard Burton a beautiful ruin, which, of course, was a reference to the fact that he was uh, pretty much perpetually drunk. But uh, Greece is a beautiful ruin. They have wonderful weather, wonderful food, wonderful people. And, of course, they've had a very complex history 
uh, since uh, the Second World War. And it's been rather interesting to see a lot of this uh, historical back and forth between the Germans and the Greeks. The Germans, of course, are the leading economic power in the euro. And what the French have done, uh, their role in this whole uh, latest uh, negotiation uh, marathon, to borrow a uh, phrase from ancient Greece, marathon, of course, being a uh, 26-mile race that's held in the Olympics, um, is from the Battle of Marathon, a messenger basically ran the 26-plus miles to deliver the message and then allegedly collapsed from fatigue. So um, Greece has essentially been forced to accept this, this bad deal, but they don't have much choice. Because you have no money flowing in the economy, and by the way, this is once again an example of this sort of erroneous idea that I think that's being promoted in America, that you can use credit cards for everything, that you don't need cash. Well, occasionally you do need cash. Uh, sometimes merchants won't accept anything other than cash. They're not going to accept IOUs. And if banks essentially have to shut down under a national emergency, which is essentially what's gone on in Greece, and of course we saw this in the United States factually during the Great Depression, it was called a bank holiday at the time. But um, America's financial crisis had, had a variety of bank runs. And one of the fundamental reasons that the TARP had to be passed back in 2008 was that there was a run on a uh, bank out west called Washington Mutual. Washington Mutual, if you will recall, 2008, had absolutely enormous lines of people trying to get their money out. And, of course, the Federal Reserve had to keep pumping in liquidity. Banks, of course, have uh, a sort of decorative vault uh, in which they store some extra money. But most banks, in the, even in the United States, operate under the assumption that not everybody in a given city is going to go to the bank on any given day and close out their bank account. So they keep a limited amount of cash reserves on hand. And basically what happens is, in a bank run, is the cash runs out. And, of course, one of the more famous uh, scenes from It's a Wonderful Life shows the Jimmy Stewart Finance Company, Donna Reed and, uh, oh, Tom, what's his name, the, the brother in It's a Wonderful Life, are experiencing a bank run. And if you recall, Jimmy Stewart is at the desk trying to urge his customers to, to go home, come back on Monday, and he's able to get rid of all of the cash that he has in reserves. And he yells over to Donna Reed, how much do we have? And she goes, $2. And then Tom and Jimmy Stewart dance a jig in relief because it shows the clock tick-tocking away to 5 o'clock. And then they shut the doors on the remaining customers. Jimmy Stewart gives an impassioned speech about what a bank really does. 
And as evil as banks are, and in many occasions they are evil, uh, they have to be uh, managed responsibly. And one of the problems that we've seen in some of the other financial crises that are ongoing around the world, it's been very interesting, for instance, to, to, to note that the Chinese stock market, the Shanghai Index, in recent weeks has been, um, well, you could call it more than a correction. At one point, it was down over 30%. So communist China, which uh, frequently has really more capitalism than America these days, the Chinese government had to impose um, restrictions on stock sales. In fact, they shut down something like 10% of the stocks that were even listed on the exchange, and they prevented short sellers from taking advantage of the market. Well, what did we learn from the Chinese uh, stock market correction from the last couple of weeks that's been simmering in the news underneath this Greek crisis. There's also been a discussion of Puerto Rico. Puerto Rico, not an American state, but an American protectorate. It has a kind of an odd status, but they do use the dollar there. Puerto Rico has a... Uh, a debt, supposedly, of $72 billion that they can't pay. And uh, once again, we start to wonder who's going to take the haircut. What are the, what are the, who's going to really st pay the price? For instance, Puerto Rico's problem is not unlike Greece's. Greece, uh, if you've been paying attention to this crisis in the business sections of the Wall Street Journal and the New York Times, you will see that a lot of the key economic indices in Greece are almost identical to what America looked like during the Great Depression, when unemployment went up to uh, 33%. Some historians put it at 25%. Others have even put it as high as 40%. But one of the interesting things uh, about Puerto Rico, and I'll just mention this from a, a Harper's Index from uh, March 2014. This would be the uh, February 2014 Harper's Index. It says, portion of Puerto Rico's population that is employed, one-fourth. So you wonder what goes on in the uh, island of Puerto Rico. And, of course, in America, there are an estimated 5.6 million Puerto Ricans living here. They have a kind of a favorable immigration status. They're allowed sort of into the United States carte blanche. And this, of course, is why we have large Puerto Rican populations in some of our major urban areas. Well, the Puerto Rican situation is similar to the Greek situation in terms of the actual uh, structural problems with the economy. As I noted a couple of weeks ago, one of the reasons that Greece is unlikely to quote-unquote grow its way out of the economy is that its main exports that it drives uh, currency from 
are fresh fish and cotton. And, of course, it relies on tourism. Tourism is probably its number one industry, quote-unquote. But tourism isn't an industry. It's a service operation. Yet Greece has to import oil. It has to import gasoline and other refined petroleum products. It has to import pharmaceuticals. And this is why some of these items are running out of inventory in the stores. And, of course, when a country is in the financial predicament that Greece is, businesses insist on being paid in cash. There have been rumored reports of European countries actually dispatching couriers to pick up payments in person. They're not going to accept the check because the check is an IOU, and they don't really know if the credit card company, perhaps a bank, is really solvent because the professional uh, wisdom on this matter is that the banks in Greece are essentially insolvent. And without an infusion of liquidity from the European Central Bank, which is not to be confused with the IMF, which we talked a little bit about last week, the the the, uh, the banking uh, system in Greece would have to remain closed, and it's already getting desperate there in terms of uh, the reform, the uh, you know the financial situation on the ground. Um, many Greeks are living at home with their pensioners, and of course, one of the big cr- cr- critiques of Greece is that. People were allowed to retire in Greece at the age of 50. And previous governments to the Cyprus government are the ones that overborrowed and overspent. It's fascinating, and I guess I'll give Jeb Bush a brain damage award. He gave a stump speech last week where he claimed that the key for his economic plan was that Americans needed to work more. And uh, work more hours, and a lot of people are wondering, well, We have all this uh, unemployment in the United States, and there are a lot of part-time workers. He, of course, had to reverse himself because his 4% GDP predictions were pretty much nonsense. And then, of course, in China, one of the reasons there's been a financial crisis there, so to speak, and we're talking here about paper wealth, we're talking about the value of the stock market, Three to four trillion dollars have been sort of wiped off the ledgers. Is a lot of people bought these stocks, these ordinary people, on margin. Well, that was one of the fundamental problems during the Great Depression. A couple of weeks ago, by the way, here in the United States, Maurice Greenberg, who was the former head of AIG, had filed a lawsuit against the federal government complaining about the TARP. If you will recall from your history, the United States pumped in $182 billion, $182 billion to AIG to keep it solvent. And the reason that they did this was that if AIG had failed, then all of the other Wall Street banks would have failed. Hank Paulson did this on his own, Hank Paulson being the former head of Goldman Sachs. So he understood how the House of Cards in Wall Street was set up. And these abuses of, of uh, 
deregulation caused by the deregulation of the Bush administration contributed to these problems on the on the Wall Street banks. The Wall Street banks were selling these so-called credit default obligations under the assumption that real estate prices would continue to go up. Well, that's what a bubble is. And in China, the stock market, uh, the reason it's crashed is that there was a stock bubble. It's an asset. It's a paper asset. And people are operating under the assumption that it's always going to go up. Well, sometimes it goes down. Now, to change subjects rather radically here, speaking of reputations going down, <clears throat> I wanted to make a couple of comments about the upcoming publication of um, Go Set a Watchman by Harper Lee. <clears throat> Most of us uh, of a certain age who attended public school here in the United States, of course, remember reading To Kill a Mark Mockingbird uh, back, back either in junior high school or perhaps a freshman literature course. Um, because it's it's definitely one of the greatest American novels ever made. Most film critics, by the way, put To Kill a Mockingbird as a movie on one of the top 100 best movies ever made, because it is an outstanding movie. And, of course, over the weekend and over the past couple of days, we've received news that Atticus Finch, the father uh, in... Harper Lee's books uh, turns out to be a bigot. And to just set this up real quickly, um, Go Set a Watchman was basically the first book that Harper Lee actually wrote. And her editors in New York City told her, mm, go back to the drawing board and do a book about, you know, Scout is the narrator. Do a book from Scout's perspective when she was six years old. And, of course, uh, our opinion of Atticus Finch is always going to be set in stone by the rather interesting and solid performance in the movie by Gregory Peck. He's handsome. He's patient. He's wise. He's strong. He has integrity. And I even jokingly remember telling a... Um, a girlfriend of mine once about the role model for a male in, a, in, a, in America would be Atticus Finch, Gregory Peck, in the, in the To Kill a Mockingbird movie that came out in 1962. Um, and of course, we now are, are going to be treated to this sequel prequel in other words, this book was actually written before To Kill a Mockingbird. And now we are going to be shocked to discover, and I'm going to quote here from an English teacher in Queens, whether you've read the novel or seen the film, there's an image you have of Atticus as a hero. And this brings him down a peg. Because apparently, uh, to set a watchman is going to have Atticus as an aging man, 72 years old, who's got arthritis and attends Klan meetings and denounces desegregation. And I'm quoting here from Alexander Alter's seven 
uh, July 12th New York Times front page article where he's quoted as saying, do you want Negroes by the carload in our schools and churches and theaters? Do you want them in our world? Atticus asks his daughter, Jean Louise, the adult scout in Watchmen. So, of course, this is going to be a fascinating event. Uh, it's been reported that To Kill a Mark, Mockingbird has sold something like 40 million copies globally. Um, I guarantee you that this book, uh, Ghost Set of Watchmen, will set all kinds of records for this particular year. And it's going to be very interesting to always juxtapose in our minds the character in Harper Lee's book, this new book, with the image of Gregory Peck in the movie To Kill a Mockingbird. Because it's the image of Gregory Peck in the movie To Kill a Mockingbird that creates the image in our brains about who Atticus Finch is. And, of course, in the movie, he heroically defends an African-American unjustly accused of rape. Um, most of the movie, a lot of the movie centers on, on uh, the trial and uh, the injustices that were occurring in the South with uh, criminal justice, the criminal justice situation in which juries, white juries, would use... Um, racism to either convict African-Americans or nullify murder convictions. Uh, in the case of Ku Klux Klaners that, for instance, killed civil rights workers right and left in the 1960s and then were acquitted in court. So I think that this uh, sequel or prequel, whatever you want to call it, by Harper Lee is a fascinating uh, development. She, by the way, was quoted as saying, my editor, who was taken by the flashbacks to Scout's childhood, persuaded me to write a novel from the point of view of the young Scout, Miss Lee said in a statement. I was a first-time writer, so I did as I told, Miss Lee said in a statement that was released by her publisher in February. So, of course, there's been all this mystery about this book. Uh, Harper Lee sort of went into... Uh, became a recluse. Uh, she moved back to Alabama. She had lived in New York City. There is some sort of ridiculous speculation that Truman Capote is the actual author of this book, but I'm not convinced of that. And if Atticus Finch has taken down a peg or two, paraphrase uh, what was stated by the uh, Queens high school teacher, uh, so be it. But... Um, we have to also remember that there may be an element of reality to the, this book. I haven't read the book. I haven't even read any excerpts. I've just read some newspaper articles and heard some commentary about it on uh, radio. But it is fascinating to make the observation that even if Atticus Finch wasn't a, actually a racist, he may have attended Klan meetings because he was a small-town lawyer in Alabama. He was expected to go along with the crowd. And this, of course, plagued lots of people uh, in small-town southern cities, uh, whites, for years and years. 
This was a um, very difficult situation from the human perspective. I don't know how the book ultimately treats Atticus Finch, uh, who, of course, in this sequel, is 72 years old and suffering, apparently, rather profoundly from rheumatoid arthritis, that he's getting old. And it's quite clear that Atticus Finch, in the novel, is based on Harper Lee's father, A.C. Lee, who was commonly cited as the model for Atticus Finch in Mockingbird, quoting once again here from uh, Alexandra Alter. She writes that while A.C. Lee was moderate by the standards of his time, he supported states' rights and held segregationist views, according to Mr. Shields, Mr. Shields being a literary um, historian critic who wrote a book called Mockingbird, A Portrait of Harper Lee. Very interesting that this is all occurring amidst all of the brouhaha about the Confederate flag. Uh, of course, uh, great news that the state of South Carolina uh, has brought down that flag. And great news that the NCAA or the NCAAP, excuse me, uh, has suspended their boycott of South Carolina. This is the healing process that needs to keep occurring. And I can only recommend that all of the good developments that have occurred in the last several weeks on this front, and my own position as the Confederate flag never should have been allowed to be put up on state houses down south, period. I don't think it's as bad as the Nazi flag, but it's similar. This is good news, and hopefully all of these articles can be uh, popped through the jail cell of the suspect in South Carolina. We are out of time. I'd like to thank Andrew once again for engineering here on uh, Gray Matters, here on WCBN-FM Ann Arbor. I heard Weston's voice. He's in the house, so take it away, Yazoo City calling. Uh, the hair 
Pearl Harbor. Yeah, maybe a movie star. Well, she's a dropout of some sort. Yeah, what is that word? A, a dingleberry. <laughs> or a dress dodger. Yeah, or maybe just a runaway. Or some sort of, you know, peacenik. 